If you want to buy yo-yos and yo-yo accessories, you should probably check out yoyoexpert.com. They have a shit ton of yo-yos and yo-yo accessories. They have all the yo-yo things that you could possibly want. And yoyoexpert.com is run by Andre Boulay, who's a national yo-yo master and a sweet fucking dude. So you should so probably sweet. you should probably just so buy sweet. all your yo-yo stuff just from the them. Sweetest guy. He is the sweetest so guy. Sweet. He's adorable. So sweet. Just He's lovely. Handsome. Just a lovely, beautiful man. Beautiful man. Oh, but and yet, but yet soft and yeah. firm. He's a very firm handshake, and he looks you right in the eyes. Oh, right through your soul. It's great. Beautiful. Yeah. So, uh, yoyoexpert.com is where you should buy things. Please. I'm Steve Brown. And I'm Mark McBride. And this is a podcast about that time we made up two whole new styles of yo-yo play. And at the time, nobody cared. And now, a few people care. Maybe. here we are so this will be the very first episode of yo-yo player that mark and i are recording in the same room amazing amazing god it's so much easier to do when i don't have to look at your ugly mug nice yeah so mark mark is in mark is visiting the mighty midwest uh visiting some family with his kiddos and he drove down for the day and we are going to actually record live yay Oh, fun. So, yeah, we're going to, like, um, building off of the, what was it? We have the Triple D episode, which built off of the Philippines episode, just on this, like, still talking about the issue du jour of contests. I mean, it's so much of yo-yoing. And, man, did this become real fucking clear during, like, lockdown. But so much of yo-yoing revolves around contests. And as soon as you pull them out of the equation, man, shit really falls apart quick. It's true. It's true. I early on was very critical of con- like, you know, as early as the Onamicon, we would mock people who were just in it for to win. But yet I ended up getting pulled into supporting contests because win or lose that's where everyone came together you know you had to give people an excuse to travel and turns out that 30 percent of people needed needed the excuse that i could win something and then the other 70 could use the excuse that those 30 people are going to be there it's true i mean and remember like we had so there was that brief moment i think it was like late eh, it wasn't even late 90s it was like early 2000s where spinning grills became a thing do you remember this i remember the name and that was definitely when we were trying to you know get events together that did not have to be giant sanctioned contests just get together with your buddies yeah it was it was an attempt at that it was literally an attempt at like kind of semi-formalizing the idea that we could all just hang out together and it not be a contest so people would basically throw you know like the yo-yo equivalent of like a backyard or park barbecue for a bunch of yo-yo players in the early days the the after contest barbecue or maybe that was was that just southwest regionals no, mid, honestly, Midwest Regionals was like the best. Oh, oh, you think so? You think so? 
Well, okay. Not the best, but it was, it became the one that like really encouraged everybody yeah. to do it, you know, and it, Dave Schulte, the, the whitest white man in the history of white, so white, you can hear the H, uh, but Dave Schulte had, you know, nice house in the burbs and a big ass backyard. And that man loves nothing more than standing at a grill with, with an apron that says, kiss the cook and handing out burgers to yo-yo kids. So this episode, though, I think we're going to do a case study of the Southwest Regional Yo-Yo Contest, which was the one that I got sucked into putting on. I should say I shouldn't say sucked into like it was a negative, but it was it was something that I did for many years, but had never and never planned on before kind of thing. But it's a great case study. And the reason I want to talk about it is it's, you know, it's like I said, a great case study in anyone can do this. There's a, and if you're going to fail, fail spectacularly. Well, I think it's also, it's a great case study in that it started off, the event started off as something that was like a formalized part of the National Yo-Yo League. Like this was, this was an event that seeded into the U.S. Nationals and then it stopped being that. And I think that, I think it's a great, um, I think it's, it's a great, kind of story because what you got to do is you got to see both sides of oh yeah of organizing a contest at that scale because i'm, I'm not going to count triple d because it was a one-off and we didn't know what the fuck we were doing <laughs> but uh but you got to do this at scale you know at like a larger like more like professional quality level but as both kinds of contests so you've got like really good insight you know more so than a lot of organizers even me as to like what works and what doesn't. It's also a great case study in uh, how to keep moving forward and saying, you know, go fuck yourself to your friends, even when they're right across the table from you. It's true. It's true. <laughs> I mean, let's, let's be honest here. Like a solid 65% of our friendship is us telling each other to go fuck themselves. Maybe 63. Maybe 63. So the story begins with the man that you will hear us talk that, you know, we've talked plenty about is Bill Leibowitz really doing a lot to support Southern California, West coast, the whole thing. And there was a point and I can't remember what year it was. And it will say it was like 2001. For those who don't remember, Bill Leibowitz was the founder and owner of golden apple comics in Los Angeles. Uh, golden apple comics had a yo-yo team in the late nineties, early two thousands, and they were, Bill was instrumental in helping to form and hold together the SoCal yo-yo scene during a really formative time. Absolutely. And he really gave it the, the human venue apart from a physical venue, you know, just kept it going. And so there was a point where Bob and Thad decided that nationals needed to have regionals to feed into it. Right. Nationals had been around for a while, but it was always whoever showed up got to compete. Then somewhere around 2001, maybe 2000, there was a point where they decided that there needed to be regionals that fed into nationals. And to explain why they came to that decision, you had to remember at that point that like some states had state contests and technically those state contests could feed into the lower rounds of nationals, but not every state had one. Um, not every, none of the contests were like using the same rules and scoring systems. So it was, it was really hodgepodge. It was really kind of 
you know, slapped together. Uh, it was one of those things that you could very easily just like skip the harder contest and go win a bunch of easier ones. Were people doing that? You Were know, people jumping between states to try and get seated into Nats? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, people still do it. Like, if you look at the regional winners this year, like Hunter Feuerstein, like won like three regionals. <laughs> And he doesn't even have to, but still, again, because yo-yoing focuses and centers so much around contests and the contest experience, like that kid's a serious competitor. So he went, competed in and won like three fucking regionals. Crazy. So they announce it. They announce the regional, like they break the regions up. Now at this point, BAC, Bay Area Classic, is the premier yo-yo contest it was yeah bac was like it was the contest that every yo-yo contest wanted to be well everyone went to everyone went to chico you knew everyone went to chico but bac was the cool one that did great stuff and had a lot of history and dave Vazan put a lot into it and chico chico at the time was where the exclusive home of u.s nationals yeah. so the u.s national contest was in chico but it was arguably more prestigious to win the bay area classic bay area classic was in san jose which is you know San Francisco Bay Area. Bob made it the West Coast Regional, but he did it. He announced it with so little time. Like he announced it, we'll say like if Bay Area Classic was in May, they announced it in like April, March, April. So let's let's real quick let's let's introduce the cast of characters here so that I don't have to keep clarifying who is who. Bob Maloney is the guy who basically started the U.S. National Yo-Yo Museum, the U.S. National Yo-Yo League, the original uh, uh, organizer of the U.S. National Yo-Yo Contest. Um, he is the guy that you know he starting in the early 90s with the return of the yo-yo exhibit which was a traveling mall exhibit across the united states he revitalized modern yo-yo we, we should we need to do an episode just like yeah, about bob for sure. and, it, and it's, it's you know it's actually i don't know if i don't know if a lot of people are aware of this but you know we're you and i being devotees of yo-yoing are completely aware that it is actually a holy obligation of all practicing yo-yoers that are capable once in their lifetime to make the pilgrimage to Chico and shake Bob's hand. Right. Yeah. You've got to make it to Chico at least once. You got to shake Bob's hand. You've got to marvel at what a beautiful little city it is and how shitty it is to get there. Um, and uh, yeah. Okay. So when we say Bob, we're talking about Bob Maloney. Um, his son-in-law, Thad Winzens, is also uh, now like kind of a, in a lead position in the U.S. National Yo-Yo League. So that's the Thad that we're talking about. And of course, Bill is Bill Leibowitz, the baddest motherfucker ever what was. So Bob announces the, the regionals. Bill says, you're killing me. My guys can't get to, my guys can't get to BAC. We, can, we got no time. For the, we need to re west coast needs to be two regionals right well and in fairness like la to san francisco is like a fucking hike like that is not that is not like an easy little jaunt from cincinnati to cleveland like that is some shit and so uh bill in his larger than life uh nature convinces bob probably on one phone call that there's got to be a, a, a Southwest regional. So we, so we carve out the Southwest regional, which is Vegas, Arizona, Southern California. Bill puts it on. Bill puts it on like down the street from the comic book shop at some point at the like Jewish women's center 
it was this, you know, just a community center in the middle of Los Angeles where there were built, got a relationship with them and their, their niceness. Like it, it's like a school gym and not even, you know, it's, it's that kind of, that kind of hall. I remember it. It was pretty bad. It was, it was the kind of venue where you came in and all the people competing had to like pull the chairs down. Yeah. But it was like, but that's the, that's the kind of thing where that's where people would look at those venues now and be like, I can't throw a contest here. It's not cool. There's not a stage. Nah, man. It like, yeah. Let have your grandma like bake snacks and like give you the space. And that's what it was, man. It was like, like associated with a thrift store. Like, I mean, it was very like, it, and the great thing about it, it really did remind me a lot of like, like late, mid to late eighties, like LA punk scene type stuff where it was like, you know, they were like black flag was playing like VFW halls and like church basements. Like it was that exact vibe. It was just like a random. And they, but, but here's the thing is they, they, those stories always come out and they sound like so cool and hardcore as a church basement. And there's always emphasis on the basement and they missed the emphasis. on like, no, it's a church. It's church. We went, we went right by Gladys and, you know, like high fived her and she was nice enough to give us the keys and walk us in. And there was the hardwood floors and, and watch the linoleum, you know, <laughs> over there. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was a dumpy, shitty little venue. It was too hot. The AC was terrible. Like the yo-yo players had to like file in, set up the registration table, pull out chairs if they wanted to sit in chairs. Oh, and we didn't. I mean, there definitely were. But the but the most epic thing that came from that contest is that's actually where Better Off Alone the song "Better Off Alone" by Alice DJ is that who sings that? Yeah. Like, like enters Yo-Yo Cannon. God, nobody's coordinated at this point. Again, this is a this is the regional that we throw together just because we needed to bang one out. It's pretty much like it's DXL crew and I th- in Arizona. I think like yeah. the Pro Yo Gang came in. Yeah, the Golden Apple crew and DXL. I, so this is one of those things where, like, in my head. I'm like, I really feel like it was very, very Southern Cal and there may have been like one or two people, but barely anyone Northern Cal showed up. But at the same time, like I'm now at a point in my life where I realize like I've been to too many yo-yo contests to remember anything specific about any of them. The person we needed to mention when we were, when we first mentioned spin docs, that's worth mentioning now is David Capurro. Mm -hmm. And he was great at showing up at these things. So I would really believe that he was there. Yeah. Like, because I mean, he was amazing at showing up for all these things. He really did. He showed up for a lot. So, doesn't matter that. So, point being is, it ended up being it's yeah, a bunch of bunch yeah. of fucking yo-yo players showed up at a rec center. So, no coordination. So it was just like, hey, you got a song. Like you, you handed your your disc man to the to the DJ who plug. You know, like we were literally plugged into. Either a large boombox, or I think Bill had like a small PA system that yeah. he used for his general event. So we were literally like, "Here, here, your, here's your CD," and he, you would tell the DJ track five, and you know Bill would press track five as he announced you. Yeah, this was. Uh, I, I just want to point out this weird little detail. So like during this era of yo-yo contests, you would literally show up with a random CD and then tell the DJ which or the the DJ the sound person. Uh, you would literally tell whoever was running sound, which was very frequently just like somebody's 
girlfriend or boyfriend you know what i mean it was just like some some random non-player that had gotten roped into helping out um you would just hand them a cd and be like oh track track 12 um and then they would play the track and then you'd realize the track was wrong because you were a dumbass oh wait hang hang on hang on track Seven. <laughs> and then someone would always like run over to the DJ. Like, oh no no no! And they'd like look and okay okay. And then the, and then the player would run back out on the stage. Okay okay. I know. And they give you the new team give the thumbs up. Okay that one. Which then gave birth to the rule that you had to burn a CD and it had to have a single track only on it. Okay. And the the disc had to have your name, your division, the name of the song, the length of the song. And all like written on the actual disc. You know, we'll get to this as we get into this, but I quickly move moved away from that stuff so fast. Whenever I took over, we went to MP3s immediately. Yeah. And so I never had to deal with that, but that sounds so par for the course. I remember seeing the seeing like at, at Chico and Nats like the the binders of discs. I mean, my you know my first yo-yo contest, like half the people competing used cassettes. So, I mean, that, you know, and we went from that to CDs. We went from CDs to burn CDs, one track only. Then we went to uploaded MP3s. Now, like as an organizer for like the World Yo-Yo Contest, when people upload their music, I've got a script running that like retitles the track to player first name or player last name, underscore player first name, underscore division, underscore round dot MP3. <laughs> to this day, I still have people in my ipod alex asana's like who else is in there like uh tyler shea like i literally have them in my ipod like they will come up because i changed like because i loaded into my ipod for for the playlist for the contest so i'll send them like a song i'm like i don't what is this song and i was like oh it's somebody who competed in blc like some random year some total pop song they're like yeah, but I kind of like enough that I won't delete it. <laughs> I, yeah, I definitely like every once in a while I will still run across like random fucking yo-yo tracks. Like, I mean, I it, honestly, this is a huge reason why I switched over to just like listening to all my shit on Spotify because my own iTunes like playlist had been so corrupted by fucking other yo-yo players music that I hit the point where I was like, it is no longer worth the effort for me to clean this shit out. I give up. I'm declaring music bankruptcy, moving to streaming. So we didn't have the Now the one person that did come in, that was an exotic person for this, for the contest for the first Southwest regionals with Dale Oliver. Mm. And, um, he was in there and he was kind of MC. Again, Bill was always, you know, larger than life so he was you know, talking some but i remember dale was the head judge so now for for all you youths dale oliver uh dale oliver is actually the guy who revitalized the world yo-yo contest the world yo-yo contest basically was originally held in like 1928 uh you know and held they they held a few more like through like the 50s you know as like a promotional event but then the whole thing just kind of went away when the yo-yo boom died. And then Dale Oliver brought it back in, I think it was 1992. And Dale was the one who brought the World Yo-Yo Contest back as like a sub-event of the International Jugglers Association Yearly Festival. He started Spintastics. He was a Duncan demonstrator all through the 1950s and 60s. But Dale Dale went on, went from uh, working for Duncan to working for the original Playmax company when it was founded by Don Duncan Jr. 
anyway, so so Dale Oliver showing up was like it was sort of you know weird celeb weird like S tier celebrity. So it's like like certain legitimizing. So you get the old guy who's trying to be very legit about how you run a contest and stuff. But you've got again, it's the DXL crew. These guys that are just like, oh, we're doing our own contest now. Cool. We're sitting. We're sitting like in a semicircle around the floor because I th- for some reason. Because nobody wanted to deal with the fucking chairs. Yeah. And, but I have this weird memory that if somebody could correct me on that, like, I feel like there was a stage, but we weren't on it. Like, there was something else on it. But I just remember. It was a stage. It was set up for something else. And so we technically couldn't use it. Like, we had use of the space. And if I remember right, the backdrop that we were basically playing against was the stacks of chairs that nobody wanted to disassemble and set up. And so we're down on the floor. The reason I remember Dale being there and getting pissed was that uh, who was somebody was doing their routine. We'll say Jason Gallagher, but I don't think it was him. Messes up the messes up the yo-yo, and they get like, "Oh gosh, you know, gotta find out the yo-yo." And then somebody throws the yo-yo. Oh, cool, grab it. Starts doing the trick. Do not messes up again. Two more people throw him replacement yo-yo because everyone no one no one wants to see somebody fail. So every time someone messes. People would throw so by this nobody, point. Well, nobody wants to see somebody fail. And at the time, like most of us didn't have much in the way of backups. Like we could afford a yo-yo or two. Like who nobody could afford to just have like six fucking renegades like set up and ready to go. Yeah. So so it was people were just throwing yo-yos at the competitor after and at least I feel like it was Jason Gallagher, but maybe oh, it was one of the other guys. Days. It started as people tossing yo-yos up for him to use. And then after like the third one, then it just became people hurling yo-yos at him <laughs> because everybody was just like, well, I mean, he hasn't fucking won. So let's just make a show out of this. Dale got pissed at us. Oh, he was pissed. livid. We cannot have people throwing yo-yos during the competitors like freestyle. And that became a rule. Like that is in the Is rules. that where it came from? Yeah. <laughs> It came. It came from Southwest Regionals. It, it came from the fact that Dale Oliver was super pissed off about this, and then it, it's and it's still in the rules today. You cannot, if a yo-yo player loses a yo-yo off the stage, an audience member cannot return it to them. That yo-yo is considered dead and out of play. Like so, somebody got up there and played "Better Off Alone." Because that was the hip track. It was popular as shit at yeah, the time. Popular. And, it, it, you know, it's, it's, it's good, tra- good, good track. It's good yo yo. It's good for yo yo, yeah. too. Yeah. And then did the routine great. And it was somebody like that wasn't hip to it. And then, or not hip to it as far as like they were just like, oh, I like the song. So we're going to say James Locke. James Locke was one of the guys in this yeah. circle. And this is where, I, and then somebody else uses it accidentally. And then some, and and we're like, and it came, and it was like the next person. Yeah. It came up right up. It's like it's like if a jukebox plays the same song yeah. like on repeat. You're like, ha ha ha. And then I swear, and then third person comes up, and I like like, and I think, and I that by that point I think it was like Jason Lee, who man, we've got a history of him just being like music, whatever. So I'm sure that he was just like, just play that one again. <laughs> So that that's, got played that's again. exactly what it was. So, so one player got up, used better off alone. Next player got up, and it was like a you know young kid, like first contest, looking real nervous, looking real embarrassed about it. His music starts on a separate disc, and it's better off alone. Third player gets up. Jason Lee is just Jason Lee showed never showed up to contest with fucking music like ever. Jason Lee didn't show up with 
with music. He didn't show up with string. Half the time, his yo-yos exploded or he only had one. Like Jason Lee showed up at yo-yo contests, used whatever was handed to him in that moment, and then fucking won. My favorite Jason Lee story, though, was we went up to BAC like... 2002, 2003, 2004, around there kind of thing. We're driving up there. And again, at this point, Jason Lee is the height of his, like, like respect. Like, he is just killing it. Great player. Everyone's excited to see him. And we're all driving up there. And you go, oh, I don't need music. Does anyone have any music? What kind of music do we have? And I went, and I was like, and I had, like, a burn random compilation. Like, Napster was coming down. And so I was like, I grabbed a buddy of mine. I was like, I was like, here's just a bunch of random songs I'm never going to buy. So can you just burn these two, a couple CDs for me? So for no apparent reason, I had the clown theme from Akira, which if you've ever, that's like, that is like taiko drums, like post-apocalyptic anime. Just like, what you know? in the fuck? <laughs> and, and I'm like, you should use this one. Jesse's like, Love to. Cool. And he did. <laughs> you should stop this podcast right now and go find, like, pull up YouTube and just a clown theme Akira. is amazing. So he definitely was in it to mess. And then, by the t- and then there was like a, f- I think by that point, it became laughable. Then you had the people who were just doing it to fuck with Dale Oliver, putting on Better Off Alone. So then you, there was at least another person that... So, so what happened? Okay, so we had one player use it. Second player, embarrassed, same music, used it. Third player, Jason Lee, doesn't give a shit. I don't know, whatever. Just play that song again. Fourth player gets up, totally different song. Fifth player gets up, Better Off Alone kicks in. At this point, Bill Leibowitz is like, Bill Leibowitz, as soon as this routine is done, addresses the crowd and just straight up says, Next person who uses this music is getting disqualified. So two more players go, and then Jen Niles gets up there. And she was going to use Better Off Alone. But she was like, I can't use my music now. So she decided to just freestyle in silence, and we all just sang and hummed Better Off Alone. (laughs) Somewhere out there. There's, I mean, somewhere online, there is video of Jen yo-yoing at this contest, and you can hear all of us. Holy cow. Oh, I'd love to find that. And you, the damnedest thing about I still hear that song in, like, random grocery stores and shit at least twice a month. No way. I'm not even fucking kidding. I'm not exaggerating, which I know I'm prone to. I still hear that song in public, like in the wild, at least twice a month. And every single fucking time, I assume somebody is fucking with me. And so that was for years after that. That was how you separated the the old school players at a contest where someone would put that on. And you could look around the crowd and... 20%, 15% 20%, 15% of people would start cracking up. They know what they, they, they yeah, know I mean, the ridiculousness yeah, of it. I'm like, yeah. I mean, I'm the caribou lodge is just going to release a fucking Alice DJ t-shirt and that'll be my million dollar idea. Like if you showed up at 44 clash selling Alice DJ t-shirts sold out Garen fucking teed, man. We'll have to check. We'll have to test that. Not long after that, 
I feel like Bill might have done a second Southwest Regional. It wasn't long after that that I took it over. Like, and that was just like Bill and I were, you know, like, ah, oh, sure, I'll, I'll, I'll put it on. Um, Bill was still pretty, uh, you know, he had a store to run, and and by this point things were like yo-yos weren't a big draw. So there wasn't a lot of advantage for him to do it. Yeah. I mean, this was, this was definitely like post boom. Oh, very much. This was like, Oh, three Oh four. I put on the Southwest regional for one year and either the second, maybe the third, if you told me it's third, it was, but I'm pretty sure it was the second year was actually when Bill died. And that's when we renamed it the Bill Leibowitz classic in his honor. Like I wanted to come up with something besides classic because BAC and BLC were too close, but we just couldn't come up with anything that sounded, you know, better or worse. So that was, so that's when, so Southwest regionals quickly became the BLC because yeah, simply builds around for one of them that he didn't one, maybe two that he didn't run that I was running. And so, yeah, he, and it was, Again, this goes to the going to our case study, if anyone can do this, that I went to the park near my house and it had a decent community center. And this is something which I've said is like, if I ever give a TED talk, it'll be the topic. You need to make three phone calls just because the first one you're going to be like, who do I need to talk to? And they're going to say, I don't know, but you should talk to this person, call that person. Who are you going to talk to? I don't know, but it's this person. And then that's the person you actually need to talk to. Yeah. So walk over to the park. I want to put on a yo-yo contest here. What does it take to do that? Oh man, well, you have to rent the community center and this and that, unless it's a, unless it's a, you know, a city event, but this is a, oh, wait, stop right there. How do I make it a city event? Well, you ask. Okay. <laughs> Who do I ask? Uh, they're not here right now. When do they come back? Tomorrow. I'll come back tomorrow. Come back tomorrow. Hey, Frank, I was told that I need to talk to you. Can I make this a city event? Yes. Stamp of approval. Exactly. But the first guy was like, you can't, I can't stamp the approval. I can't think of you. The only, only, only Frank can. All right. Well, I'll be back to talk to Frank. <laughs> so city of West Hollywood was really cool. They were always very supportive because turns out the people like yo-yo contests. So I say, Hey, can I do it? And they said, sure. Sounds great. And you just have to make it an official con- official city event. What does it take? Well, you list us as a sponsor. Done. First sponsor, City of West Hollywood. Yeah, and then we just called yo-yo con called yo-yo companies. Hey, you want to put you want to sponsor our event? What does that mean? Whatever. Like, what are your what are the expenses of the of the event? Well, we had a PA system. The the VA the excuse me the park gave us the venue. So, and then everyone else was in it for the volunteer. So prizes. Cool. So I will say as a manufacturer, like, do not fucking call a manufacturer and be like, Hey, do you want to sponsor my event? And then you go, yeah. What does that mean? And you're like, I don't know, whatever. Yeah. Like we fucking hate that drives us fucking nuts. Cause if you just say whatever, I'm going to send you like eight discontinued t-shirts and call it a fucking day. Like, so like have, have a plan, like have some kind of like, you know, understand like what your hard budget is like, okay, it costs us, you know, two grand or 800 bucks or whatever it is. Like it, it costs us X amount of dollars 
to run this contest. So ideally, we need to get that back in registration and in sponsorship. So if your sponsorships are like need to be a hundred bucks and you need to sell like eight of those, great. Then your sponsorships a hundred bucks. Like just have a fucking plan. Totally. And we did. This was also before contests were expensive to make sure people were committed. True. There was a shift in yo-yo contests where because anybody would show up just to get like some stage time and find out if they're like the 56th or 57th worst person in their state. And you can't, you, you couldn't run, you, you couldn't bang it. Like you just ended up with this, so many people signing up that there was a shift years later, years after this years later where they said, okay, we're going to move the burden of the contest more towards the competitors to make sure that people who are signing, like, People are $50 committed. That's when the, there was a jump up so in registry. I'm going to push back on that because realistically, like, wh- here's what actually happened is um, people started expecting the quality of the events to continue growing. And of course, that just costs more money to produce. But also because of the volume of players, like you needed to rent venues for longer and you needed to have like more staff and like more people needed to, you know, I mean, some judges were getting paid. Sometimes they were just getting paid in like meals, but you were like still hooking them up with like T-shirts and like merch and stuff. Like, you know, it was one of those things where like, you know, every, every person involved in running it like needs something. You know, I mean, the, the here's the foreshadowing. You know, the God, foreshadowing that comes. Money became a thing. Prize money became yeah, a thing. Well, like <laughs> players wanted prize money. You know, and like I mean, Dave Bazan set that precedent like hard. Like Dave Bazan was throwing BACs and you know being like thousand dollar first prize, and all of a sudden every contest was like, oh shit, we got to do something. But there was a, there was definitely a time like Bazan put out a couple of those, and then it went away. It went away for a long time. Well, it went away this for was, a long time because the boom died and nobody would yeah. give up any money. So this was in that time. This was in the lull. There was no boom. So we figured we'd have like a few do- like we'd have a few dozen competitors and we charged everybody like five, ten bucks. And then every and then everybody else we would say, Hey, what do you what would it take to make it worth your while as a manufacturer. So we tried to, we tried to be a little bit more interesting than just like give us some stuff for prizes. Like one of my favorites was um, we worked with pretty sure it was yo-yo factory at the time it was pro yo-yo factory. Cause I remember it was Ben and Hans and they bought smoothies for everybody. That would have been yo-yo factory. Yeah. There was, there was one of the BACs where if you entered halfway through because we knew we would be blowing through lunch like every competitor got a smoothie and yo-yo factory bought smoothies for everybody that was their that was how they sponsored the contest and all the so we every in your in your registration was what's what jamba juice do you want and they all came back with yo-yo factory stickers on them that's i mean you know fucking shout out to that's all ben mcphee but that was actually my idea and i sold it to ben I was like, who wants to buy smoothies? And Ben was like, I'll do that. Done. So, and then we got into, and we got into other things like, oh, going back to the barbecues. One of my favorites was we had a, we had a barbecue and this would have been 2005 that I had gone 
to South Africa to hang out with the guys from Radioactive. And I got those Yako. Yako, Yako Grief. Yeah. Yeah. And gosh, like, okay, here's another like do it yourself story. Well, little tangent. There was like one guy, Yako, mm-hmm. who was who was bringing in Duncans into Johannesburg. Yeah, selling them at like they didn't have shop there, so he's selling them at the like little flea market stand. Right. Yeah. Now that is Johannesburg is is like the furthest you can get away from Cleveland, Ohio, where these things are being manufactured. Right. So people were already um, uh, surprised that. Yo-yos were not two dollars. That yo-yos were now fifteen, twenty dollars because they had a bearing in them, and then you doubled that price because they had to be shipped all the way to the other side, the other hemisphere in both directions. So it was just tragic for him. So he just kind of got tired of it and just made his own little yo-yo company. Just started making yo-yos in Africa, and it was radioactive. And I actually really liked his yo-yo. And like he used this weird plastic that just, it was a plastic that felt like wood. I, but, and I loved it. Whenever they hung out with him, good guy, had some fun, came back. So next time we're doing the, uh, BLC, uh, I put out the word to manufacturers. Hey, anyone, anyone want to, you know, be involved? Yako said, I'd love to, but. I don't really know. I don't really have any product. To, I don't know how I would support you kind of thing. Cause the conventional packages, which was this much money and this much prize type stuff. Right. Well, when I went over there, Yako said, Yako says, Hey, what do you want to do while you're in Africa? I want to eat some shit that I can eat in the States. Let's go find some Christmas. So he goes, he looks and comes back a few minutes later. He goes, I know where we're going to dinner. We hop in his little car, drive out to a place that if you're in South Africa, I hope it still exists. There was a restaurant called Carnivore. That is actually the name of the fucking restaurant, Carnivore. What? It is a Brazilian style steakhouse. Brazilian style, like, you know, the guy comes around with the the sword of meat. Right. 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 And you just say, it's just like, oh, Brazilian style steakhouse. They'll come around and be like chicken. And, they'll, and you say, yeah. And they'll chop you off a piece. Like, filet mignon yeah chop me off a piece cool same thing guy comes around filet mignon great this then it goes like oh uh yeah so chicken and then ostrich and then alligator and then hemsbach zebra i was like fuck yeah wow that's (laughs) fucking great and there's a there's a there's a trick that I still love. I can't explain it. It's it's like just a not trick you do that I was doing at the time. Nobody had taught me. I was just like playing around with it. And so, and Jaco decided that trick was named McBride Eat Zebra. Because <laughs> 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 it looked a little bit like a zebra drumstick. <laughs> and so, so when we go, when I reach out to him, I go, oh, whoa, we're... whoa, a zebra drumstick? I mean, it just, you know, like it, it looks like the shape of a, a zebra. Dr- I mean, it's I mean, big. It's- Zebra drumstick has got to be fucking huge. Yeah, but it's the it's the shape, the shape. Did did you actually get a zebra leg? No, they came out they came out like steak style. Like, oh my god! <laughs> I'm just like, 
I'm just suddenly imagining you like I mean that's like some Flintstones level shit. Like that's like the biggest run fair fucking turkey leg. Oh my gosh. But I do have a I do have a, a Hemsbach hide, which to this day is like still hangs in my uh in my workshop. And a knife from that restaurant. There is if you look at the if you I mean this is and we're gonna get back to the contest here in a second, I swear. But if you look at the original packaging for the Yo Yo Factory Dynasty on the inside flap of the top of the box, you can see a photograph of like a reindeer pelt and it's because on the when when hans originally asked me to send him photos of myself to use on the packaging everything that i sent him was me shirtless with a rain reindeer pelt thrown over me holding a fucking two-handed broadsword from viking tour (laughs) (laughs) the only picture you had of yourself and I, no, I took I took those I took those just for that. Oh, that's great! It is I've, somewhere I will find the entire original photo shoot, but it is fucking ridiculous. And Hans messaged me back after he got those and was just like, "I don't know if this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen or the best, but I also need other pictures." So, so Yako goes, "I tell you what, I, I I'm working with him. He's like, what else can we do?'" I said, "Well, we always have a barbecue afterwards." At this point, Jen Niles hosted it. So you, she didn't live very far from me. So we could literally go to the park by my house, have the event, and then we would all walk down four blocks, five blocks to Jen Niles' house. And there was a barbecue and we'd all hang out at her house and have a yeah, barbecue. She lived, she lived on Sierra Bonita, like right around the corner from Golden Apple. Yeah, so right really south close. of Melrose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we all walked down there. And Yako says, I got you. He finds a place in, I'll say Seattle, somewhere in the Pacific Northwest, where you can order freeze-dried exotic meats. So the BAC, like 2000, BLC, excuse me, 2006, we'll say, one of those years, the after party, we grilled crocodile, alligator, kangaroo, bison, and we didn't get to the antelope. Like I saved the antelope for Holy later. Holy fucking shit! That is <laughs> genius. So that was that. It was because African African Yo Yo companies like I'm gonna sponsor your contest. Here's your antelope ribs. I mean, I've just you know lately I've just been bitching and moaning that like Yo Yo content, like sponsoring a Yo Yo contest, is just like hurling money into a fucking void. Because, like, you're not doing anything notable or memorable with it. You're just like, oh, I'm going to go have a booth. And then everybody's going to forget about that booth immediately after they leave the contest. But I think let this be a lesson to all yo-yo manufacturers out there. If you want to really make a mark in this world, rare exotic meats. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's the way to go. So, no, and it was fun. Like, we we really tried to improve and tweak the yo-yo contest with that, with that contest. Like um, I, cause I also had enough of a tech background at that point where we, we had, we did rear projection. Like I had a, I I got a projector Mm -hmm. and we did, and we did a rear projection at the 
at the park. So, no, okay, now when you say rear projection, you mean what you're, you've got a projector set up, but it's behind the screen. Actually, that you, you were correct. That's, but I'm incorrect. We had projections, be, a projector that was mounted so that it would show on the screen behind the player. Okay. So we did have to tweak it to make sure it didn't hit the player. So it wasn't true rear projection, but it was a projected behind projection behind so the player. In, so instead of like a printed backdrop, which everybody everybody was using, you know, shitty printed vinyl backdrops at the time. So instead of that, you had like a projection so that you could also like switch logos. And stuff. Not just switch logos, but we had them scrolling. So we had we got art from like either Renee or Whip, depending on the year. Like we'd get some good art to be the background, and things would roll by, and the thing that one thing that we did that was excellent was because again at this point like i knew flash so i could just animate and have this interactive thing so i had a whole system that's when we shifted over to mp3s people had to send me their mp3s ahead of time right and i had them queued up in the flash player so literally the whole thing would just was going through a list of players and it would pull up and play their you basically created one long video that was also the playlist for it was software so that it it was software so that it was on a queue it wasn't played it was like it was like like there's the video loop and it it was feeding off it because it displayed the on deck so you saw your name coming like it had like on the left column left side that stopped yo-yo players from not realizing they were next dude you'd be surprised though man (laughs) it's okay how is it that at a yo-yo contest if you announce like you announce the player like on deck, this person, this person, they won't hear you. But yet, if you show, well, actually, you know what it is? Is that our on deck list was like seven, eight people long. Right. So you could see it coming 20 minutes out. Right. And you would watch your name crawl up just like the menu at Wendy's, you know? And, and my guess is that what happened is the actual players still weren't paying any fucking attention, but their friends were. Their friends were. The guilt factor. There, there was shame. We introduced yeah. shame to organizing yo-yo's contests. I mean, if, yeah, it's the only way to get yo-yo players to do anything is peer pressure and shame. It's true. But it worked. It ran really smoothly. And... The the other thing is that since again it was it was a cutoff we had we had a time going, which also oh gosh, ask me when I finish the story about time. Um, so I had the clock. I just was like, oh, I'll just display the clock. So it had the countdown clock running too, and I was totally surprised that people like we didn't talk about it kind of thing. It was just like oh, I just put it as part of the display. We had stuff going. It was like a video game. Like you'd have logos running by you'd have the names of who's on deck who's coming this you know the division and you had this countdown clock and everyone started looking behind them and like checking their time in the middle of their freestyle <laughs> to like monitor if they were going to do another trick yeah i so i personally like the idea of having that as more like a monitor for the player than for the audience but i do like i legitimately love that idea i love you know i've always loved that like comedians there's like a red light to let them know when they've got like 20 seconds or whatever to like wrap up i like the idea of players having that timer so that they're not now granted this was you know this is also coming from a time when you know we weren't necessarily choreographing our shit that tightly to music um, a lot of us were more just showing up with a song we liked that we knew was the correct length and then winging it for three minutes. Um, I mean, yeah, competition these days is like a lot tighter. Like players know exactly how much time they have left by where they are in the song. But I do think that there's still like some good value to having that clock, like as a player view 
monitor. Oh, absolutely. But again, like I never thought it was going to be a thing. And on top of it, it was interesting. What we had with that was we shifted to criteria based judging, which was based, which was Olympic judging where each judge did a different thing. We had like, um, a tech judge, a, um, I'm embarrassed. I forgot the name of it. It was like basically competency. Like, did you do a good job? Did you hit your, did you hit your tricks? We had two of those. So they were double weighted. Then we had tech innovation and performance. And then each judge just gave a score one to 10. And then, you know, you just normalized, averaged them and that became your total thing. Well, when you do that, when you do a uh, contest like that, there's no advantage to time anymore to the point where there's actually an advantage to being shorter than three minutes, but nobody could understand that. We were like, uh, they would say, what's the time limit? The first year that we did this, everyone just kept asking, what's the time limit? I'm like, it's, it's, it's Olympus style judging. There's no advantage to long or short. So anywhere from two to four minutes. And they're like, but what? And you could just watch smoke coming out of people's ears. Like it was literally baffling to people. Well, I mean, if, yeah, I mean, if you're doing Olympic style judging like that, then realistically the shorter your routine is like, I mean, obviously law of diminishing returns and all that, but like you want to get up there just long enough to like nail everything and then fucking bail. Exactly. We had a guy the first year, but again, we're explaining this and I remember, and I wish I could remember his name. I'm embarrassed. And he, he wasn't one of the hardcore players. He was an enthusiast, like player kind of thing. He walks up there and he's like, wait a second. So I could just get up there and just do rock the baby. And I, and, and I, what that was like, well, I mean, if you did it perfect, you'd have a really great like execution score, but your tech innovation and performance would be shite. And he's like, Hmm. And he went up there and did rock the baby landed it took a bow and walked off stage <laughs> and didn't finish last Amazing. <laughs> he then rocked the baby i don't know if that's an argument for or against that judging system <laughs> i think the only person I, think, I i can't remember who he beat but it was somebody who was just like flailing and you know barely trying so it was but it was like it wasn't zero he he, he got up there and he did not get zero <laughs> I mean, that's, you know, I like the idea of, of actually numerically scoring the entire philosophy of leave them wanting more and, and, you know, not wearing out your welcome, like just taking that whole philosophy and being like, yeah, that's literally how we're judging this contest. Get up, nail it, and then fuck off before you screw something no, up. No, that was the point because you would like people would just be like trying to collect clicks and we're like, don't collect clicks, show off the good shit, get off. Right. And so we crafted like so it was intentional to have the judging system do that also it had the thing that i liked about it is that i collected judges that were respected in those uh aspects right you know it's like in those particular disciplines so like your your technical judge was somebody who was a very good technical yo-yo yeah player. it was like i think like spencer berry did it a couple years like innovation was paul escalar a couple years again this was when we got performance we got like the singer of the dead kennedys to who didn't know anything about yo-yoing but and he's like i don't think about any like your performance is it cool looking he's like well i can tell you if it's cool or not and i'm like that's your judge 
you know, because he's an expert on performance. I you just know? want to point out this was the second singer of the Dead Kennedys, not the That's original, true. not Jello Biafra. No, no shame on Jeff. He's yeah. a good dude. But no, not no, different. Yeah. And we had other, and then we had some other, like, we intentionally got like performers, non yo yo people to be the performance judge. Well, I mean, and that was something, I mean, that was something that I was, you know, hollering for like way back in the Orlando world's days. You know, I was like, why do we have yo yo players judging performance when I've seen these people on stage? They don't know shit. Like all they're doing is waiting for a, a slight break in their tricks, and then they're going to look at the audience and they're going to do the hand thing where they ask the audience <laughs> to clap for them, and then and they're going to go right I, back to doing those same fucking tricks. I love those. I loved the hand thing. That was back when that was performance. I that was performance in it. Every time, <laughs> because, like still to this day, like players still do it. Every time, I just want to throw a fucking chair at them. Every time I see it. No, and the, because the thing that I always laugh about that is because there was there's like one or two guys that can pull that off as far as like, they'll do something. And then they, they give it the wrestler hand wave and everyone goes, yeah. And those one or two guys, one or two guys pulled it off like twice and decades, decades of bullshit copying. Oh God. I hate that so much. Uh, But that, but the, but it was still at that point, we would still, people would travel in. Like the Arizona gang, spin doctors would come down. Well, it's a yo-yo contest. Like everybody tra- like everybody wants to go for the spectacle and the camaraderie and the fun. And again, at this point in the story, like I'm, you know, 10 years older than most of these kids, you know, like, and so I had my own apartment and most of these guys were old enough to travel, but at, we're all you know, everyone's dirt poor. So even though I said, here's the hotel and usually you'd go to the hotel, you'd still like, just have how many people can I fit in my apartment? And so we'd have like 10 people like just, you know, like around. And that was just like, just hanging out, chilling at apartment, like just all the people just crash there. So one of the conversations I remember was is sitting around my pool in my little like little apartment complex. I remember that apartment that it was a great little pool and it was tiny as shit. And it was like cold. It was yeah. always cold because like architecturally, like it never got direct sun. Yeah. So for like two weeks a year, it was warm enough to swim in. And so we're sitting around and it was me and here Nori me and Paul Escalar and some other people, but we basically Hero and I just got it got into it in a, in a very positive, friendly way as far as just like the uniformity of judging or not. And I was very much of the opinion that each it's each contest should be judged and the system should be defined by the organizer because every place has a unique value system. What makes it interesting? What's valuable? Your judging system reflects what is valuable, what you are trying to encourage. So I was fine with the idea that 
you could have a network, a cascading network of like contests that feed into each other that all you needed was to define who the winner was and pass it up. Hero totally disagreed. It had to be uniform top to bottom because you were doing a disservice to whoever was trying, to, anyone trying to get to the top. And all of a sudden, they, they're, if the judging system was different than where they came from, then that wasn't fair to the players. And Paul Escolar was just falling asleep. Listen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Paul. But, you know, that, and it was really interesting because, again, it was like having this conversation with Hero that I just assumed that everybody thought the way that I did, and it's just not the case. Yeah, I mean, and I've definitely, like, I had to work – I, I put in a lot of work on standardization, um, but I think I'm one of the very few who has put in that much work on standardization who also still understands the value of the wildcard shit. I had a good relationship with Bob. Bob and Thad were really great as far as like they said, look, you're doing a good enough job that the contest is legit. I did have some people get uh, like some parents kind of get annoyed with me on some things. Like one thing that we caught flack on was we had a, we did rookie and pro divisions and instead of doing it by age or this, that we said rookie or pro and the dividing line was, were you sponsored? That was the, that was the dividing line was if you were a sponsored player, you were in sponsored. And if you were not sponsored, you were an indie. So, well, I guess there was indie rookie rookie was like kind of a voluntary thing, but we had Indian sponsored were the divisions. And there was one year where Yo-Yo Jam started a promotion or not promotion. A, uh, they had the Yo-Yo Jam protégés. Yes. Yeah. And it was a program. That's what I'm looking for, where they had their junior kids get teamed up with someone. And uh, Tessa was like maybe her first contest. I don't know if it was her, I don't think it was her very first contest, but it was one, the first one I remember dealing with her. And she signed up and I was like, you're on Yo-Yo Jam. You're unsponsored. And Valerie was like, no, she's, she's a junior program. I was like, nah, man. Like if she's get, she is getting, she is, the, the rule was, would it be awkward if this, how this is, this, how this was how I defined it. Would it be awkward if the player wore a t-shirt of a different company? And I said, could she get up there in a Duncan t-shirt? No, she's sponsored. Wow. That's a really solid kind of end run around that. Yeah. And so, and she, but she's, but she's junior. I'm like, no, nah, man, she's getting one-on-one tutoring from Johnny. Junior Whopper's still a Whopper motherfucker. <laughs> I'm like, no, nah, man, she's playing with the big boys. And, and it was funny. Like, and I pulled this aside. I was just like, I hope you're cool with this. You know, she, and she was, she was just like, no, I get it. I get it. Kind of thing. So, but it was, it was about like the, it, the parents and Valerie were like, I can't believe you're, you're making those, the juniors compete. I was like, sponsored is sponsored. That's how we broke the line. True. You know? And so, yeah, we were do we were well enough. We, we, we ran a tight enough contest that it was predictable and respectable. And so Bob let us keep doing it differently like doing it with the criteria judging that wasn't the clicker based judging and it was cool. And so um, we did it in with the city of West Hollywood for a while. Then they changed 
like some election changed and all of a sudden they decided to revamp the way they were going to do it. And they were just became a pain in the butt and the new guy was inaccessible. So we did the next thing that you do, which is you find a commercial place. That's happy to have people brought to their shops. Right. And I think by this point, y'all doing it at the Grove. No, we did it at the lab. I'm pretty sure that glass. I had, found it ahead of me and thrown a D- the DXL battle there before we moved Southwest regionals there. Okay. And it was a hip shopping district. Basically like they found like developers found some old warehouse type industrial space that was close enough to main thoroughfares that they, you know, tore it down, put in an urban outfitters and all of a sudden it was nice. Right. And they were really great to us. They actually treated us very nicely. And we ran it there for a few t- few years. And it was great. This is another thing for all you would-be organizers. Uh, find a venue that's close enough for food. Yeah. That is, that's, that's all that you really got to worry about is make sure that people can eat. Yeah. I mean, if, if you tell people that there's like a half hour or hour or whatever for lunch and it takes them 30 minutes to get anywhere that has food, you fucked up. So that place like had some had some shopping. So they were they were happy to be the throwers of the contest, and pe- but there was a lot of food around, so everyone that we brought in could just go and grab lunch. And- I mean, that's like the only benefit of mall contests. Yeah. To be honest, everything else about a mall is fucking terrible. But the fact that everybody can just immediately scatter and have like thirty lunch options. And so by that point, we started also doing the pocket circus. Pocket circus sounds like something that a guy does on a bus right before he gets thrown off for doing that on a bus. Yeah, that's why we did that. <laughs> it was supposed to be just a little bit nefarious. Just a little bit like, wait, you called it the what? What, huh? You put on the contest during the day. People would travel in for it. And then, and then what? Well... By this point, you know, we weren't doing the barbecues. It was too big for a barbecue. Right. So we put on a show. It was too big for a barbecue and it was too big for y'all to like take over a Denny's or something. Like there was two, I mean, that was, man, that was, that was one of my favorite things about yo-yo contests is, you know, everybody would, everybody would scatter. There would always end up being three after parties to every yo-yo contest, right? There was, there was like the two hotel rooms that everyone dogpiled in to like drink booze and get rowdy. There was the parking lot where all the younger kids hung out because that was the only spot that they could hang out parking lot slash hotel lobby. And then there was the Denny's nearby where as many people as could reasonably fit into that Denny's fit into that fucking Denny's. And you just take turns. Like you'd be like, Oh, I'm hungry. I'm gonna go over the Denny's who was going with me. Seven people walk over and you'd see eight people walking back. Yeah. And so we had, we actually put on after party shows. Like we had the first year (laughs) I met a guy randomly that was, had some back out like Koreatown back alley venue space that he came into that he wanted to turn into an art gallery. And when he took it over, like he ended up having to kick out a bunch of like migrant farm worker guy, like, like 12, 12 migrant guys that were like sleeping on mattresses, uh, like squatting there. Whoa. And so he had cleaned it out. He was turning into an art gallery. He hadn't really done anything with it yet. I was like, Hey, can I put on a show here? He's like, sure. 
So we had some comedians. I got like comedians, music act, yo-yos. And if you want to do a yo-yo act, you got up, you could get up there and do a yo-yo act. And we could, yeah, and then in between like a couple comedians, we, <laughs> we had one guy do a um, evil ventriloquist. What's an evil ventriloquist? Like it was a possessed dummy. Like the dummy was possessed. So it was evil venture. It was Duncan. I can't remember what his name was. And I think that might have been the year we had Scott Neary who escaped, did an escape from a backpack act. Scott, uh, I've known Scott for a long time. That is a fucking fantastic routine. And he is, he's now currently running variety, variety shows in Los Angeles. He's been doing that for a long time now. Uh, Scott Neary's booby trap, I think. Yeah. And I'd met him when he did, when he did the pocket circus. Uh, we had a comedian. <laughs> this is the, this is the fail spectacularly part of it. One of my buddies was a comedian. And he had a whole bit where he talked about how, like, when you when you do helium, it makes your voice high, but when you do whippets, it makes your voice low, like the guy from Silence of the Lambs. So he legit went up and just was doing whippets on stage. Oh my! For part of his, his stand-up routine, it was so horribly uncomfortable. That's really. <laughs> It was, I mean, it was safe. Like I, I'm not gonna do it unsafe. Like I knew, I knew the guy well enough that I knew that it was, it was gonna be fine. Yeah, it was safe for everyone but him. Oh yeah, no, it was horrible for him. God, that's like that's like one of the worst things that you can do. Can you imagine if that dude had just straight fished on stage? Like that'd be real bad wrong. I was like, but it was. It was just kind of like, hey, look, Skippy's a uh, he's in he's one of those comedians in the Neil Hamburger vibe of like half the humor is the uncomfort, the discomfort that he brings to the crowd. And so he got like, we got mixed reactions, but they were like, yeah, the show was really good. Except for the guy doing the whippets, but the mildest, we got, we got mixed reactions. I think that is like the most diplomatic fucking way you could possibly explain. That. No, no, they were truly mixed because some people thought it was fucking hilarious. <laughs> Other people were like, man, that, that the music was good. But then by that time, that guy came up there. I don't know. <laughs> the next year that we did it, it was much like it was much broader and uh, we had much more rock and roll presence. 100% less whippets. 100% less whippets. We had Higby there for one year. John Higby came in. He was amazing. Um, we had this one at a like a much like this the the year I'm thinking of. We ha- actually had it at a venue that was doing like more rock shows. It was like a, an after hours diner bar type place, gotcha. and it was a great place called the uh, Blue Star, and it was great. And so we had some bands get up there. Higby, we had um, a burlesque. We had a, we, we had some burlesque routines, and the two genius ones. Again, we had some yo-yo stuff, and like people do yo-yo things. But the one that was fun was I stole a classic from the NYU uh, yo-yo club from the late '90s, where I got a spiked yo-yo, like made a spiked yo-yo, which opened so that like pointy stuff would come out, and we put our burlesque dancer in balloons yeah and then and then proceeded to do 
proceeded to do uh, different around the world style tricks to pop the balloons off of the burlesque dance. So I was there at the NYU Yo Yo Club contest when that was debuted. <laughs> and it was an X brain when the clutch was disengaged, right? So the hands would come out. So they had drilled holes in the body of the yo-yo so that when the, the four arms of the clutch went out, each of those four arms extruded a spike through the edge of the, through the edge of the rims. So when it was at only when it was at full speed were the spikes out. So you could still technically catch it, quote unquote, safely in your hand. <laughs> Uh, my engineering was seeing as how I'm not an NYU engineering student, I used the just centrifugal force bending some uh, thin metal. So, what was the other one? We had another act, the most dangerous trapeze, where one of my buddies went back to the crowd and we pretended that he pulled his junk out because I don't think that he was actually going to do it and then do a trapeze over. Junk. So there must we must have, so we must have done the pocket circus at the five star at least two years. Then, as someone who has actually pulled his junk out and done a trapeze on it, I can safely say that you what your friend did was probably a much smarter option. Yeah, because that was the thing with like, can we actually do this? And he was willing to actually, but like, yeah, but this is that's yeah, not. But then the, my favorite though was the the burlesque year where we got, um, and this was because this was a true show of um, some yo yo skill was we had national champion Patrick Mitchell get up there and actually do loops and knock the pasties off the burlesque dancer. Wow. He that's, did. that's solid. That's he did. Really, that's some good, that's he some stepped good looping, up. man. He stepped up. I said, I said, and I didn't really give him much head time notice. And I was like, Patrick, you can do that, like knock a quarter off somebody's ear, right? And he's like, yeah. Thinking like a, pasty off a beautiful lady can i did you uh, have to explain first what a pasty is because <laughs> i'm betting you did that's a good question <laughs> so yeah so that was you know so it was fun and it was you know so i was able to do the contest the way that you know i thought it was a good contest it was a fun event it's great. Yeah. And then, uh, Steve, and then, th- and then, and then, th- and then things kind of went south. Things overbalanced. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to say my side of it. And then Steve can correct me because this is where, this is where Steve and I parted ways on, on the yo-yo contest world where there was, there was a shift and, here knowing me and Steve Brown are the people that I, I point at as the, the 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 leaders of this. I don't know how much it I don't I don't I don't know how much, but it was no. We got to do contests the right way. What do you mean the right way? Well, there's a way that we're going to do it. It's going to be the right way if we ever want to be taken seriously. We gotta we gotta do them all the right way. It's legitimate. Like no man, it's for the love. For the love, you can't, it's just, you gotta, how can you do what? No, but I lost, I lost the argument. The, 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 this was the, I don't know how this coincided, coincided with the shift 
into the International Yo-Yo Federation, National Yo-Yo League, where the where the world's left Orlando. We sh- we can't get into that story. That's a whole other podcast. Um, but at some point, it was dictated that if you were going to be an official regional contest, you had to be you had to do it a certain way. And I went, no. And I stopped doing Southwest Regional regionals. Yeah. So. So here's what was happening. The quality of the regionals was all over the place. And it wasn't a reflection. It was not a reflection like directly on your contest. It was the fact that it was the fact that like you can't have your contest exist. Like the yo-yo contests were on a spectrum and too many of them were at the low end. And but they were all feeding into the US nationals. And the problem is is that you can't have like the two worst contests looking at you running a, a quote unquote like loosey goosey kind of like artsy like more free for all sort of thing and explain to them why yours is okay and theirs is not which is really hilarious because yeah while it seemed all loosey goosey i also was the first contest where we had real-time judging calculated like like spreadsheets that were legit like doing the math real time and analyzing it. And like, I remember setting stuff up on my floor, just having multiple, like having to borrow laptops from people checking local area networks. So that, because never trust, never trust the fucking Wi-Fi yeah, as your venue. Trust the Wi-Fi. And so, and laying all that stuff. So is, so that's the thing that is, is loose is, is kooky as that stuff seemed. As, yeah. As kooky as it was on the surface, like the back end of it is that you were running like a, a forward think you were running a tight ship, but you were running a real forward thinking one, like tech forward. Yeah. Um, but so the thing and is philosophically forward and philosophically forward. So the thing is, is that like, this is, this is what was, we were specifically running into at the time is that we were actively trying to solicit larger companies to sponsor the entire yo-yo league plus nationals. So we were trying to get non-yo-yo money into the league, but you can't have non-yo-yo money into the league when you show them one big pinnacle event and then four great regionals and then two really shitty ones. <laughs> like we were running into this problem where it was like we were trying to put together this whole package to like sell because yo-yo companies were not like the amount of money that they were putting in was just dropping steadily. Yeah, this would have been 2010. Yeah. This was like the this was the lowest one of the lowest points in like yo-yo industry. Um, so we were desperately trying to figure out like how do we make this sustainable and to us, the only way we could figure out to make it sustainable was to get not yo-yo money in um, because the, the amount of money that yo-yo companies was making and they were able to contribute was not growing at all. And that was my position too, where I said, and this is, I think, where you and I differentiated mm-hmm. was that you thought that there, if we did a better job, we would get more money. And I said, the money's not there. We just got to do a cheaper job. And- that was, that's why I just banked on him. Like, nah, man, like it's, that's not going to happen. So we got to do it cheap. You got to make it, you got to let people put on their contest. Cause that was what I said. I said, I'll put on my contest, but I'm not going to put on your contest. Right. And that was the, and that was something that I did a real shit job of communicating, which is that my feeling was like, all right, fine. Like fucking do it. That's great. 
but it can't be a league event. And, and for me, what I was trying to do is I was trying to, I was trying to like lock down the league stuff so that the league stuff was like, you know, very consistent across the board. We could sell it to sponsors. The quality was like even and consistent across all these contests so that everybody competing in a league event trying to get to nationals would have like a similar experience at every contest. I wasn't trying to stamp out like the little weird indie contests. I was just trying to clean up the league ones. No, and then, and I have to say that you did say that in the but you said it poorly and pissed me off because the way that you said it was that no, we're not getting rid of the indie contest. There should be any contest and if you guys do something really cool, we'll take it and roll it into our contest. I was like yourself <laughs> <laughs> i could totally see myself i i i am i am positive that your recollection on that is a hundred percent fucking right because <laughs> i could totally see myself saying something like that and thinking that what i was doing in the moment was was complimenting your ingenuity and instead <laughs> i was just being a complete fucking asshole <laughs> and exactly and but but and it was backed up because at that point, again, there was this this move with you, you know the Hironori, t- you know, doing this is how we're going to do worlds all the way up, and this and everyone signed on. I was like, "Fuck you all!" Yeah, you know. Well, I mean, it was like I mean, it, and we're still trying to, we're still struggling with it, right? Like, but like, it is one of those things where for like. For the a very specific type of competitive yo-yoing, like it's not just the way that we want it to be; it's the way the people competing want it to be. You know what True. I mean? Like they want that that consistency from one event to the next because they view it as they're spending their year hitting all these different contests to hone that routine for worlds. And if they're having to play to a different judging system every time, it fucks them up. Yeah, but then right there, you're pointing out that people are making routines to work towards a judging system, not making a routine that's awesome and then having the judging system follow it. Well, and that's where, and that's why I don't like leading with the judging system. That, and that's fair. But the reality is the judging system changes. Um, The judging system in order to keep a consistent, um, like in order to keep like a stable, consistent, repeatable judging system, the judging system just has to necessarily move kind of slow. So the judging system is always going to be about three, two to three years behind the actual like will of the players, um, because you're going to have time to like kind of make those changes, vet those changes, talk to everybody about it, and then implement it, and then fucking argue with people, <laughs> and then argue with the exact same people who want those changes in the first place. It's just that now it's two years later, and they're like, no, 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 I want something different now. Um, but it's it is one of those things where like you know the the goal is for the judging system to continuously evolve and like reflect like the will of the players and like what what the the paradigm is at that time what players value at that time um, but you know like any anything of any scale like it, it's even at the scale that a competitive yo-yoing is operating at which is so fucking tiny you know in compared to like the rest of the world um even just at our tiny little scale like it's still you know big boats turn slow so and we had so that was when the blc went independent like southwest regionals became 
a, its own con like its own contest. Brian Cabello, like Glass Eye worked with Duncan to put it on, put on the regional at Disney, and I went to another hip little shopping joint off of like San- Sunset Boulevard in Hollywood proper that had like a skate shop and was owned by an urban outfitters. And they were actually connected with the, I think they're the same developers, the lab. And yeah, it was, and we went there and actually we did, uh, we did busking style judging for that contest. Nice. Oh, that's right. You printed fake money. Because (laughs) what happened was at that point, I was like, we're doing an independent contest and I'm going to blame Tyler Severance, but I think it was somebody quoting Tyler. Somebody was like looking down their nose at me in some interaction, kind of giving me shit like, nobody's going to show up to your contest if you're not offering prize money. Because I'm like, it's a yoga contest. You know, like Ernie from General Yo, always a fucking supporter. He's going to show up, you know, like, got this, we're going to get stuff from the skate shop. We're going to be fine, you know? Nah. No, like yo-yoing has grown beyond your little street stuff. You need prize money. So I went, fine, fucker. We're going to do a stripper style. We gave everybody fake fucking money that we get like all of the, all of the money that was, uh, your, your admission fee, your admission fee. You gave it to us. We gave it to you back and and like monopoly money and anybody else, anybody could buy monopoly money. When somebody went up and did the routine, People literally threw cash at them. Whoever had the most cash at the end won. And however much cash you had was your prize money. <laughs> I mean, that is that is fucking fantastic. <laughs> but we couldn't call it stripper style, so that's what it, we call. It, sorry, so that's what I call it, busker style judgment. <laughs> that's a really that's a nice little pivot. But I think I think you should go back to stripper style. I think you should just straight up. You should hand out garter belts. <laughs> like just make it make it like real old timey strippers. Look, so, at the, look at the gams on that dame. Oh yeah, so we did that for at least two years. At least two years we we had that, and um, and it was great. And then we had in Hollywood. So here's here's the thing now is that now that. And it is it has taken a lot of work from a lot of people to kind of get the National Yo-Yo League a little more solidified and get the IYYF solidified and get, you know, the national contests and the worlds and like all these like regionals and things like that. The regional system in Japan runs like fucking clockwork. The regional system in the US is better than it used to be. Um, but now we don't, and especially because, you know, of fucking lockdown and the pandemic, like yo-yo contest just took such a giant fucking hit. But now what we need to do is now that we've got those like, you know, very reliable, repeatable systems in place. Now we need to work on the silly fun shit. Like we need, we need 44 clash to come back. We need BLC to, you know, to come back. We need, um, you know, we need a triple D kind of thing. We need more fun, creative, silly shit where yo-yo players can like come in and just cut loose and enjoy themselves. 
Um, you've got Scales Collective doing some interesting, fun things outside of the contest system, but they're still very like contest focused. You know what I mean? They're still very like we are competitive yo-yoers looking for a better way to be competitive yo-yoers, which is you know very fun for competitive yo-yoers, but for you know, random punk rock kids who like doing yo-yo tricks, like it's not the fucking jam. So, so we need more, we definitely need to find a way to interject more silly fun shit into the yo-yo contest scene. Because again, like even when you're doing it like this, yo-yo players still only want to show up for a fucking contest. So, you know, we've got to find a way to make that contest like just a different experience. I've always been really amazed with yo-yo players that like so many kids at this age, like this very specific age and time in their lives are so hesitant when it comes to like DIY stuff. Like there was, there was just something, I mean, like us in our like early twenties, like, man, we would try anything twice, you know? And so many of these kids, like they're just so hesitant to do it. And I don't know, I don't know if it's just because everybody feels like the stakes are higher. I don't know if they feel like they have like, you know, they're looking at like nationals and worlds and they feel like they need to somehow live up to like this higher standard or what it is. But like, you know, we need more, we need more of these guys to just be like, I'm going to get this VFW hall. I'm going to fucking do it. And so that, yeah. And that's an experience that it's almost like they don't get to have like the one that I got to have where, Okay, so the last BLC that I helped organize, I was trying to get Leo was, I think, the guy that I was like, you can do this? Yeah. And like, and I was trying to get like these guys to help and they, I was trying to make it their contest and they did. And it was almost like they didn't kind of realize it, you know, and, or that they did, they said afterward, like, oh, wait, I'm doing this? I'm like, yeah, because you can. I'm just here to have your back. Yeah. And, I realized it just made me flash back to the contest where the one, the contest where Bill Leibowitz was still alive and I ran Southwest regionals and it was, it was awesome. I mean, like Bill showed up, said, you did a great job. Like I still could thought, of, I thought that this was his contest, but he, no, he was just like, you did a good job. Like he could have said, you did a good job with my contest, you know, like, and did a good job. And I was just like, dude, it felt great. It was fine, man. And it was like, Bill was happy that I took it and ran with it, you know? And I wish that some of these younger guys would realize how happy it would make us old guys to watch them take it and run with it. Yeah. I'm Steve Brown. And I'm Mark McBride. And this has been Yo-Yo Player, a podcast about the modern history of yo-yoing from two guys who helped make it. See you next time.